It's December 19th, I need to get this on like you know, so have you ever seen those little like recording buttons you can get It's like basic recording but imagine like a little button on just a very on a plastic base portable battery powered like a little smaller than your palm right and it basically You're describing the easy button right sure but it basically is like a one button soundboard you record something to it and then you press the button and right, place right, yes right. I need to get that with the Bill Nye the thing whenever I get the mail and I pass a bill to my roommate. <laughs> bill, 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 bill. <laughs> they, like, put it in a drawer. <laughs> they, they start hiding it and you, you end up finding it. Or it turns out you have a second one or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a running goof with nobody. <laughs> With how much they I have, hate uh, me. I have one of those. <laughs> exactly, I have one of those uh, at work, and it's you can load it with multiple sounds. Like it, it just plugs in via USB. Sure, um, they're they're very cheap. Uh, but I, for years, I've had it, and I've only ever loaded it with the Darth Vader No from the end of Episode Three. Sure, and when something like goes very wrong, then it's a very loud. It's just like at my desk. And I, I just hit it, and there's a very loud, no, I realize I may now have it. Darth Vader, no. Another one. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> nope. Well, good try. Well, you, you get, wait, wait. No. No. You're kidding. No. There's no, there's no way. So I know this is from the We Like to <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I guess it's yeah. good to say for the listener. I could tell. <laughs> Praetor has a hunger inside of him. Nick, tis the season to be jolly. How how are you doing it on that front? It really is. You know your your goal of being more jolly this year. How's it been going? That's right. My my ongoing goal that I've had mm -hmm. definitely before this moment. And I'm Nick Season. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bottle Crow Reborn, a Dota 2 podcast, where we talk about Dota 2 on a podcast. Hey, why did you play the Bill Nye thing? Because it's a very episode. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fairy episode. Okay. All right. Why don't you guide us through what that means, Nick? Well, you're going to be shocked to learn that the first place we're going is... Um, Hell? Um, wait, where did it go? Did I delete? No, it just doesn't highlight. Oh, interesting. If you're on there, I'm in my sound pad right now, and it's... Uh, oh, we got to go. Bill, Bill, Bill. <laughs> Bill, Bill. <laughs> so, uh, six. Yes. On this here podcast, we have been working our way through Carmilla by I Don't Know the Author. Okay. Who wrote Car Carmilla? Does it, does it really, I don't know either. <laughs> I, I can't say I know myself, but I do know uh, what happened. Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Has he done anything else? In the 1800s or whenever this was written. Um. Yeah, totally. What do you want? You know, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he, he did The Drunkard's Dream. He did The Last Heir of Castle Connor. Uh, he did Splataro. Which is like Momotaro, but Splatoon. 
Mm-hmm. It's actually Spalatro. <laughs> I was reading it really quick. Splantaro is very Sp- Sp- <laughs> I was like, I mean, I guess that's it. Splatara. <laughs> I mean, you might know In a Glass Darkly. I have heard of that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't really know what it is, but oh, okay. Apparently, Carmilla is part of it. Oh, wait, is there like a... a- is it like a universe? Like there's vampires. It's a five collect. It's a collection of five short stories. Okay, short okay, stories. Hang- yeah, hang on. I, I at one point I believe I looked up the definition of a short story, and I believe it has to be under sixty thousand words. How many words do you think Carmilla is? Because I bet it's over sixty thousand words. For sure. How many words is Carmilla? Uh, tw- 28,000. Really? Huh. Uh-huh. Just a, just a, a, a sh- longer short story. A medium story, if you will. It's in uh, it's sold in an Irish studies collection. Because I guess Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu is Irish? Yeah. Interesting. Well, there's a review from... Uh, Six, what we're going to be reading today is a review. This comes to us from... Chili Polly. It is a review of the critical edition of Carmilla. Uh, it was written in 2017 on February 1st as a sort of February fool's joke. Uh, we can uh, go ahead and use our normal rules of alternating uh, line breaks. Okay. The star rating is for this, quote, critical edition, unquote. Quote, Carmilla, unquote, itself, a short parenthesis, 28k words, end parenthesis. Gothic mystery written in 1872 is quite good. Wait, who's the author of this? Because there are a bunch of fucking... Chili Polly, it's the first. Uh, it it's is the first that shows for me. Oh, okay, you know, no, that okay, makes... yes. There was, there's another one above it, but it's, yeah, I see. Okay. I see, okay. I forgot, yeah. The protagonist, Laura, is a lonely young woman who lives with her widowed dad and superstitious servants in an ancient castle in the midst of a legend-haunted forest. Quick break. Did we know what her name was yet? No. Okay. I'm positive we did not. I I was Wait, you know what? No, it came up in the very beginning because there's like a setup of like there's a story written by this lady. Remember? It was from someone else's perspective. Is it a story within a story? It is is not a story within a story as in it is a fiction within a fiction. It is a... um, a, a, it is a transcribing of an experience a person had that was used as evidence. I control F'd Laura, and it first appears in the very the last two sentences of chapter eight. Okay, yeah, it doesn't mention here, but we in the prologue, in it says, four, Upon a paper attached to the narrative which follows, Dr. Hoselius has written a elaborate, elaborate note, blah, 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 blah. So basically, it's a, mm-hmm. as, published the, as I published this case in this volume, simply... Um, so basically it is a person being like, Hey, I, a lady wrote down her story and mm-hmm. I, I am like, this is being like presented for some intention, right? Not just mm-hmm. to, for amusement. Um, but that's, sorry, that's sorry, of, please, no matter. <clears throat> An anonymous noble woman has left her daughter Carmilla in their care, then disappeared in pursuit of some desperate but secret errand. Carmilla refuses to disclose family secrets, and her behavior can be rather odd. Carmilla is a mystery that suffers from a problem of advertising. Without a major spoiler, few people would read it, so it gets spoiled a lot. If by some remote chance you remain unspoiled, and if you like gothic tales, then stop reading reviews, perhaps including this one, and you'll find yourself, and find yourself, A, the actual tale. You will need to avoid many front covers, back covers, editors' introductions, and promotional blurbs. Your best bet is some edition of In a Glass Darkly, the author's five-story collection featuring this tale. In this critical edition, the spoiler is repeated on the back cover and in the editor's preface starting at the first sentence. Nor will you be safe if you skip unspoiled to the tale itself, since it features... Uh, since it appears prominently as a footnote. By itself, Carmilla makes a slim volume, which is another reason why In a Glass Darkly may be a better pie. This critical edition 
instead supplements the author's text with editor's introduction, footnotes, three critical articles, bibliography, etc. Bibliography. Sadly, none of these extras are worth much. I assume the bibliography would be for the editors because they're adding footnotes to be like, this is what they're referencing. And then you got to be like, here's uh, here's a source for that. The editor boasts she has reverted to the original magazine text, but then peppers the text with footnotes explaining where she has preferred readings from the 1872 publication of In a Glass Darkly on a case-by-case basis. But the latter represents the author's final wishes and should have been followed consistently. In any event, the changes are too trivial to be of interest. Interesting. Do you, do you have strong feelings? I suppose Carmilla was originally published in a magazine on whether, on like author's wishes, like if the author makes edits to a, to a manuscript. Um, I feel I like believe I know the in, answer, but... Uh, the joke answer is I believe in death of the author as in as soon as you write it, you got to kill them. Um, right. The actual answer is like, I mean, I think... You can do one or the other. I think this reviewer is right that's saying, like, I've done all the original text except for when I chose and not to. Not. It's like, there's no <laughs> fucking point to that. Do one or the other. That's right. I, I agree. The footnotes are generally poor, at sometimes restating the obvious or evident. Utrecht Velvet. And here's where you, you correct me. Or is it Utrecht? Utrecht. I've never said the Utrecht. name of that location before. <laughs> Utrecht velvet is a type of velvet from Utrecht. At another time, <laughs> that's a great footnote. At an- I mean, honestly, that is a helpful footnote because I would, I could imagine, giving the uh, other vernacular used in in 1872 this this publication, I would surmise that Utrecht could be a an adjective. Well, we haven't gotten to its use before, but use yet, excuse me, Mm -hmm. in our reading, but it would be very easy to imagine that someone said, and it was made of Utrecht velvet, and contextually you can be like, ah, this is a type of velvet, and it doesn't really matter. Right. Also, who cares what type of velvet it was? Right. It's very, it's more, it's supposed (laughs) to be, I'm sure it's supposed to be texture and color, and not like, oh my god, Utrecht velvet, oh my god, this changes everything. (laughs) This changes everything. At another time, giving away what the author does not want us to know Definitions are supplied that one could look up oneself. Aladdin's lamp, hippogriff, but opportunities are missed to warn unsuspecting readers that meanings of words have changed, such as wonderful and romantic. Most shameful is a footnote that claims that four works referred to in the text are... What is this... So there's a thing, like, when doing quotes, right, where yes. you put brackets around ah. something that mm-hmm. you're, like, kind of, I think, adding for context. What you are doing, it sort of depends. You are you are saying this is the meaning, but mm-hmm. it does not appear this way. So, for example, there can be a couple of different uses. In this case, they are doing uh, the brackets around a lowercase a. I am assuming <laughs> in the actual work, it's an uppercase a because it's starting a sentence. Oh my so this is a slightly God. anal retentive use of it. More <laughs> often, a incredibly anal retentive use of it. Please go on. I'm interested. Uh, more, more like commonly would be like, let's say you interviewed a sportsman about their strategy right. and he says, we ran ball. And then the quote, you would be like, we ran the ball. Right. 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 That would be I've, a more typical use. I've never seen it makes a lot of sense. I've just never used the, whatever this, uh, device is called to, to lowercase a quote that you're, it's, it's, you're putting in the middle of a sentence. It's a. It like the rest of this review, it reflects uh-huh. a very particular obsessive personality. I would say, indeed. Apparently, fictional titles created by La Fanu to give the ring of scientific scientific validity to Baron Vordenberg's research. Page ninety-three. In fact, all four are real works. Vague spoilers follow. Modern readers tend to read this text as having lesbian elements, which they assume Victorian readers must have found shocking. As far as we can tell, they did not even notice. A number of factors play into modern perceptions. One is that the author does deliberately inject a mysterious erotic or quasi-erotic or pseudo-erotic elements as a clue or red herring, trying to avoid spoilers here. Another factor is that language has changed. Words like passion, arouse, romance, etc. now have associations with love and sex that they did not formerly have. 
A third factor is that culture has radically changed. So now that we see lesbianism in expressions of same-sex affection once seen as normal, innocent, and non-sexual. Since about 1980, a body of quote-unquote literary criticism has grown up that obsesses on the lesbian aspect of Carmilla. Scholars strain to find a coherent pro- or anti-lesbian message, and, not finding one, vigorously hammer square pegs into round holes, resulting in ludicrous textual misreadings. The narrator is said to be unreliable, the literal elements are said to be a-metaphors, and loose games of association are played, until the text is twisted to its opposite. Very pretentious ending of that sentence. The story's status as a mystery is ignored, as critics debate the deep socio-politico-cultural and psychosexual significance of its various clues, red herrings, and twists. You know, sometimes you get, like, there are turns of phrase that stick in your mind, right? And they're not always from the most noble of sources. You can be watching, you know, like a cartoon and someone says something in a way that just sticks in your mind. Right. You're like, wow, that's really effective. Um, and I have in my head from a, a, a video, like a video on YouTube of some YouTubers playing Fido games together. And it's, it's you know, edited together. It's, you know edited down and, and concise mm -hmm. and one of the people who is uh, has is is frustrated at someone else doing something rather foolish uh lifts their two hands sort of like parallel vertical up by their face like framing their face and they say you dense motherfucker because <laughs> you dense motherfucker you can have different readings of text <laughs> jesus christ like if you want to say that Sheridan Lefeu, uh, excuse me, did not intend this to be a lesbian text because of these various factors. Okay, that's an argument you can make, but saying like it is definitively not one—that's not what—that's not what writing is. You're <laughs> stupid. <clears throat> the essays here rest firmly in that tradition, but to break new ground, they set out to also show that Carmilla is a metaphor about Ireland and or the threat posed by Irish Catholicism. The result is complete incoherence, straining to sound as erudite as possible. God, what would it be like if someone did that? <laughs> An introduction by Kathleen Costello Sullivan summarizes with approval these prior critics. She cites with approval their oft-expressed idea that an early incident in the story, where a six-year-old girl imagines a woman has attacked her by sticking needles in her upper chest, must be perceived as, quote, homoerotic. Should that not be pedo-sado-homoerotic? Surely it is not self-evident that the author actually meant to appeal to the erotic tastes of so narrow a crowd. Might it not just be a clue in a mystery? No spoilers now. Setting aside <laughs> the the like sort of the the gist of their case here, like like she's like oh it's like saying like someone calls something a rectangle and you're like wrong it's a square that's still a rectangle you dense motherfucker. <laughs> Then an article by Jarlath Kilween, which is a name I'm not that's confident I said right, because that's a, that's a really cool name, uh, desperately strains to create an Irish metaphor of some kind. My favorite part is, Carmilla may be Daniel O'Connell in drag, a reference to the Irish liberator. He also suggests that Carmilla represents Catholicism or anti-Catholicism, or both. The only sensible thing he says that Ireland ne is never mentioned in the tale, which is true. <laughs> so I've looked up Jarlath Killeen, who is, I think, obviously, oh, accidentally opened a YouTube link, uh, obviously Irish, um, I think. And there's you know, varying levels of picture here, but uh, my immediate... Uh, reaction here was, you know, kind of in a way looks like Six, if Six was more Irish. And then there's this photo, and I'm like, oh, Jarlath Killeen is what happens if you cross Six with John Oliver. This is uh, a boy Jarlath here. <laughs> it's kind of true, shit! <laughs> <laughs> needs, needs your pink glasses in this picture, but it might. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> or like, or like, maybe a little bit of Draco Malfoy just for color, you know? Oh yeah, just for color. <laughs> 
But uh, <laughs> I, I do see where you're coming from. Uh, I will note, having looked up uh, Professor uh, Charlath Killeen mm-hmm. is uh, uh, a PhD, you know, professor mm-hmm. at Trinity College. I bet <laughs> they know their shit better than you, Chili Polly. <clears throat> Next, Renee Fox tries to unite the supposed Irish Catholic metaphor and the lesbian metaphor into some kind of complex dual metaphor. Dual metaphor. Hi, this is Gabriel Newell. Dual metaphor. With incomprehensible results. She almost says something sensible when she points out that Lefanu's contemporaries would not have seen passionate female friendships as lesbian. But she then seems to proceed on the assumption that she knows better and Lefanu agrees with her. She not only sees Carmilla's desire for Laura as erotic, for which she has some excuse, but... Spoiler. Oh, but... For which she has some excuse, but... And the entire thing is a spoiler. Um... God, not, what a again, bunch of it just, punctuation. It, just is, it is just like the word spoiler inside brackets. It's inside not like Nick brackets. Is a, Nick is because not censoring inside, himself here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's This is a parenthetical, and then the spoiler is in um, brackets, and then also it it's closed by... The parenthetical a, a and then by a semicolon, yeah. This is yeah. just... I, I haven't seen this type of thing. Sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm taking okay, a while to I, take I, a I, Listen... I, I'm sorry to, you know what? I'm not sorry to be petty to this person, right? Mm-hmm. But like, for such a pretentious little prick, <laughs> if you look at like chapter, like paragraph four here, mm-hmm. they do critical edition uh, in quotation marks and then the comma. If you're going to be this little shithead about it, you've got to put the the uh, comma inside the quotes. That's how grammar works. Like, listen, I... if you want to fight stupid fights, you've got to know the goddamn rules. <laughs> I hate the uh, inside the the parenthetical. Um, punctuation? punctuation. I hate it too. It feels I think bad. What? Like, who decided this? It makes no sense. The whole point of a parenthetical is it's like essentially. I think of it as a stage aside. And what do and, you do? And this, this is like bleeding in the influence of your primary right. point into what is supposed to be like a sort of like a sterilized example of someone right. else's work. I agree with you, but it is the rule. It is. I, I, I respect that it is the rule. I'd normally break it. But also Laura's affection for Carmilla. As if, a, oh my god, is this a double semicolon? God, what a fucking Chad. It, um, Chili Polly is. <laughs> double semicolon. Uh-huh. But also Laura's affection for Carmilla. As if affection and sex were the same thing and no distinctions are valid. She even finds erotic implications in Laura's observation that, curi- quote, curiosity is a restless and unscrupulous passion page 115 as though she cannot imagine quote passion being used in a non-sexual way even when the quote passion is identified as curiosity naturally when she reads Laura's lines about memory being impaired when quote passions are quote wildly and terribly aroused she fails to realize Laura is talking about traumatic experiences not sexy ones Uh, once again we have the comma outside the quotes oh boy Uh, next Elizabeth Bouchelet, I'm gonna guess. Damn, that's another Bouchelle, maybe. It's another good name. That's cool. Um, contrasts the sublime and the beautiful under different aesthetic theories and applies this to Carmilla. uh, Period outside of quotations. In the end, it struck me as an over elaborate way of saying that in this mysterious story, some things are not exactly as they seem. Finally, Nancy West has a decent article. Period. For film buffs, (laughs) with a lowercase f, lowercase f. Uh, about various film based on or inspired by Carmilla. Do you think like this is review. the max? The like, there's a lot more review, but it just got cut off. Like they kept typing, and then it wasn't saved when they hit submit. I think they got told they were being cut off, and then they were like, uh-huh. ah, "I don't care anymore." Um, do you want to? I... Oh, we're not done. No. No. No, we're not done. Interesting. I, I clicked on Chili Polly because I today I learned you can click same, on people's same. Amazon profiles. So why don't you? Why don't we start reading this <laughs> other review of Carl? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> There's more. I didn't even look at the content. <clears throat> review of D. Macwell Blues. So, sorry, brain got. 
<laughs> review of D. McDowell Blues, the annotated, the annotated Carmilla. The- so for folks at home, by the way, whenever I do uh, fan fiction corner, the way I do it, obviously you, you've heard that the music start and stops and when we fuck uh-huh. up, right? Or uh-huh. when we have an aside, I do edit out some mistakes just so it doesn't get tedious, Right. Mm-hmm. Just like someone just getting un- uninterestingly tongue-tied. I'm not doing that with anything here. This is all gold. <laughs> Carmilla is a short Gothic mystery written in 1871-72 by L. Sheridan Lafanu. The story itself is quite good. My star rating... Oh, we should say the previous rating, I believe, was two stars. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, and this one is a three-star review um, from February 27th, 2018. My star rating has more to do with the extras in this quote-unquote annotated edition of D. McDowell Blue, which features extensive footnotes by Blue, prefaced by Andrew Boylan, and a brief author's biography by David Sutton. Here, the idea that this story as a mystery is largely ignored. This volume does not hesitate to throw out a major spoiler in footnotes, introductions, illustrations, and on the rear cover blurb. Perhaps I should accept this sort of thing as inevitable, because fucking it was his sled, (laughs) and King Tong dies at the end, you dense motherfucker. Uh, Who does? Particularly in an... King Kong? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's Twist Beauty What Killed the Beast. Um, Mm. Particularly in an annotated version. Beauty Killed the Beast. If you've heard of this text at all, you've probably heard the main spoiler comma out of quotation marks you know at least they're consistent in this one I there are other that. errors they're not but I, I and think otherwise the, yeah. you might have no interest in reading it but if you somehow remain unspoiled I would suggest to stop reading reviews and verbs <laughs> and go straight to the actual unannotated text perhaps in some edition of In, in a, a Glass, glass Darkly, darkly. <laughs> the author's own collection vague spoilers, spoilers. will follow This quote-unquote annotated version comes across more as a fan project than an academic exercise, which is disarming, and makes one reluctant to judge it harshly. But they're going to do it anyway. In his editor's note, Blue warns that he is no scholar. Nonetheless, Blue occasionally manages to supply interesting tidbits of information. When the text lists four Latin titles from Vordenberg's library, Blue is able to identify all four works by author, date, translated title, etc., and which also, is something that that Chili Polly was mad in the critical edition exactly. that they failed this. They they fucked they it up they and were thought fake. it was fictitious. Yeah. Also, much of the story's lore derives from a 1752 treatise by Augustin Calmet, and Blue catches many, but not all, of such influences. God, why the fuck are you writing reviews? Clearly, you should have your own edition, my friend. <laughs> I want to read damn Chili expert. <laughs> Well, the thing about Actual Polly's edition is Actual Polly would just, like, include the texts and be like, if I make any reference, if I were to ever write in the margins of this book, it would be my bias showing in spoilers. (laughs) Uh, Enough with the good news. (laughs) Blue's footnotes are often so frivolous that it seems like he is inserting them just so he can say the book has a lot of annotations. At times, he merely contrasts the text with one or another of the innumerable film versions. Can you imagine comparing two different adaptations? <laughs> what a worthless use of time! At others, he merely anticipates future plot developments that the reader, reader, <laughs> that the reader is not reader against the machine. No, or restates what is already obvious. Also, Blue continually defines words known to all, explaining, for instance, that a niece is the daughter of a sibling. I'm not kidding. You know, that, that is a little stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Maybe not context, quite as but... egregious at first glance would be his use of a footnote to describe the relatively obscure term idyllic. If not for the fact that Le Fanu actually wrote odyllic, a truly obscure term that would have benefited <laughs> from a note explaining it. What? Blue. Okay. Yes? Six, do you know what Odilic is? I have no clue. Um, oh, interesting. Odic, what comes up in Wikipedia? Odic force, 
also called uh, Ode Odile, owned Odes Odilic, Odilic with two L's or Odoms, was a hypothetical vital energy or life force believed by some in the mid 19th century. Yeah, it is. It is so it is a a archaic adjective of or pertaining to the alleged force of Ode. Sure, that's interesting. Which comes, I, you know, I, referencing uh, Odin. I dislike you, Chili Polly, but frankly, I would like some annotation about that. That sounds yeah. useful. Yeah. Blue usually fails to warn the reader when meanings of words have changed, except for when already obvious from context. He fails to warn the reader of the changed meanings of passion, wonderful, romantic, and romance, or the phrase, when our passions are wildly and terribly roused. Such clarifications might have interfered with the erotic interpretations he favors. After all, lesbians are fake. For like all modern critics, what a strange way to start a new paragraph. For like all modern critics, the contributors here are preoccupied with the lesbian aspects of Carmilla, an object of the tale that everybody now knows about, but which Victorian readers oddly failed to notice. In his introduction, Boylan refers to the, quote, obvious sexual climax in chapter seven, while rhapsodizing about its, quote, intense sensuality. It is unclear if Boylan is arguing for some non-literal symbolic double meaning, or if he is actually confused about what is being literally described in the text. Actually, a clinically accurate di- a, actually a clinically accurate description of blood loss and resulting syncope. Blue also misses few opportunities to comment on the erotic implications of story details, such as hugs, caresses, and other normal Victorian-era expressions of affection among women. When events start to get weird, as they do, Blue takes quasi-narcotic effects for erotic effects and, of course, takes all quasi-erotic red herrings at face value. When a small blue mark is discovered on a woman's chest, actually a detail derived from Calme's treatise, Blue says that this reminds him of a quote-unquote hickey, as if like hickey is a dirty word or something. <laughs> on learning that this mark is only a little below the collar of her morning dress, Blue explains that we don't know the design of the dress, and that the text never says the wound was above her heart. He is obviously reluctant to accept that the boob-sucking delights of certain film adaptations are not what Le Fanu had in mind. I guess I'll, I'll finish this before. You know what, I'm going to get through this, and then we can get yep. to rebuttals. <clears throat> yeah. Blue tries to do some research. He, he makes strained efforts to pin down the date of the story by guessing that Laura's dad served in the Napoleonic Wars and that Laura was born afterwards, but entirely overlooks two key pieces of direct evidence, the date of Mercalla's portrait in 1698 and that she died 150 years before the main events. He decides the main events must precede the death of Archduke Archduke, goddamn it! Archduke, Archduke Charles Frederick, 1777 to 1847, because of a reference to Grand Duke Charles attending a ball, yet somehow manages to overlook the existence of the son, the Archduke Charles Ferdinand, 1818 to 1875. Many modern critics have supplemented their lesbian obsessions with an eagerness to portray the character of Laura's dear old dad as an embodiment as an embodiment of patriarchal oppression and male tyranny. Blue can't quite bring himself to fully endorse this level of insanity, but is nonetheless clearly on the hunt for clues that the old guy is, at least, not as not quite as nice as he seems. When Laura, afraid that a murderer is on the loose, expresses fear at the thought of journey journeying alone at midnight to the other side of the castle to summon help from her dad, There's so many commas in the sentence. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, six commas. Go ahead. When Laura, comma, afraid that the murderer is on the loose, comma, expresses fear at the thought of journeying alone, comma, at midnight, comma, to the other side of the castle, comma, to summon help from her dad, comma, Blue wonders why Laura is so afraid of her dad. Perhaps, comma, he muses, comma, here is a clue as to his true character. Okay, so Nor it's, this is a this is an example of how ridiculous this interpretation is. Is you're, you're like, hmm, she wants, she's like, I'm scared to go see my dad. Gosh, I wonder if this says something about her dad. No, overanalyzing idiot. <laughs> what are we talking about? 
nor is this the only occasion when Blue speculates cluelessly about the father's character flaws, or otherwise seems to demonstrate an odd lack of reading comprehension. She's afraid that a murderer is on the loose. She's not afraid that a murderer is in the guest room, right? <laughs> you realize that these are different things, that being afraid to travel within your own house is different than being afraid to travel outside. When I was a, when I was like worried about COVID, when COVID was really bad, I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about going to the fucking kitchen, you moron. You dense motherfucker. Um, <laughs> physically, the book physically. is nicely presented. Each chapter or essay is preceded by a black and white illustration typically adapted from a 19th century painting, often by William Bougereau. One person found this helpful. Who do you think found it helpful? <laughs> Chili Polly's alt. Um, <laughs> do you remember us reading chapter four? It's what we just read. Yeah, we're halfway through it, I believe. Do you remember in this story that is definitely where people are misunderstanding the meaning of the term passions, right? Mm-hmm. And sure. they don't understand how perfectly straight this is. <laughs> Sometime after an hour of apathy, my strange and beautiful companion would take my hand and hold it with a fond pressure, renewed again and again, blushing softly, gazing in my face with languid and burning eyes, and breathing so fast her dress rose and fell with a tumultuous respiration. It was like the ardor of a lover. It embarrassed me. It was hateful and yet overpowering, and with gloating eyes she drew me to her, and her hot lips traveled across my cheek in kisses, and she would whisper, almost in sobs, you are mine. You shall always be mine. You and I are one forever. God, it's hard to imagine how someone could get romantic implications <laughs> Man, out of this. No tree you protector was dense, <laughs> motherfucker. Oh my god, this person is on a a a, a one one man crusade to convince people that there's no such thing as being gay. Shut up. The Chili Polly's uh, last review was in 2019. You know, I wonder, I wonder where they are now. You know, you, you, you got to hope they're doing well. I did. I tried to reverse. Rev- Never mind. Reverse. <laughs> <laughs> reverse Google image search. Their their picture of a parrot here, but nothing interesting came up. So. Oh my! Uh, did you see their? Uh... So I'm not going to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The beginning of their review here. Um, let's see. What book is this? This is of, of Wizard of Ursi, right? Which is a uh, classic uh, Ursula K. Le Guin series and an entry in that series, right? I believe you. Do you know Ursula Le Guin? I don't. Um, she, is a, she is a very, uh, I would say, like foundational and radical like sci-fi and fantasy writer. Ah. Um, <clears throat> after reading The Left Hand of Darkness, I had more or less decided never to touch Ursula Le Guin again. Um, the quality, whatever your thoughts on the quality of The Left Hand of Darkness, it really tracks that this guy's like, I read what is considered one of the foundations of feminist sci-fi and an examination of gender. And I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Like (laughs) you're such a chauvinist dog, my guy. (laughs) (laughs) I, so I, I looked through, there's no posts, but there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, there are 12 total reviews that we can see from, from Chili Polly. Um, The first one, is for Mamma Mia the movie full screen <laughs> and it's two stars. The title is Scattered Driftwood on a Beach. Um and that was in, in 2013 and uh, it was all uphill from there. <laughs> the happy twist that transforms the wedding banquet I into some into a sort of peachy rated orgy. <laughs> Through the magic of Aphrodite did not quite have the tone of innocent nostalgia that I was looking for. This is just a psychotic little man. <laughs> man, Chili Polly, if you're out there, we'd, we'd love to have you on. 
I, I mean, listen, let's not say things we can't take back. <laughs> I need a drink after all that. I've gotten all my rage out at the patch. Now I'm just uh, trying to be happy. Because when the new patch drops and I'll like it, I'll probably be angry all the time. I need, to be, I need something to be mad at. And now that I have the patch, I'll be angry at I'm having sudden deja vu. Welcome to our cheesy speakeasy. Um, that I might have done this before? I don't know. I've got Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. I've have done, I this, done one. this You have not. Oh, okay. See, I saw it and I was like, oh, it's the straw. It's that artificial strawberry flavor I'm always talking about. You know, I gotta, I gotta try it. So here we go. Oh, yeah. There we go. Nice hiss. Woo. So it's definitely Dr. Pepper smell on the nose, but there's definitive strawberries and cream like scent. This is what I'm always talking about when I describe like the, the Red Bull Amper Edition or whatever, right? Uh-huh. It's like a very certain type of strawberry, artificial strawberry flavoring. It's pleasant. It's It's kind of like bubbly and sweet, but okay, here we go. Okay, at first you get that Dr. Pepper feel. And that's really the whole, the, the, like 80% of this was just Dr. Pepper. Okay, on the second sip, I'm starting to see where the strawberries and cream is coming in. It's like not quite a taste. It's more of like an aftertaste and like a, I don't know. You just like get a feeling of strawberries and cream candy. Huh. Because you had this issue with tasting Dr. Peppers in the past where it's like, it's hard to to override just the default Dr. Pepper. It's a very strong flavor. And it's kind of the whole point of it too. So you probably wouldn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But I mean... Do I prefer it to a regular Dr. Pepper? No, but it, it is like a, I don't know. I, I think I kind of like this. Huh. I hated it. It's just not that much different. That being said, you know, I haven't had that much here. I, I might as well decant. See if I get anything else interesting here. Ooh, the smell definitely has changed through... Something much stranger. Actually, some of the Dr. Pepper smell is gone, but... That's strange, okay. Okay, now that I'm... I feel like I'm really getting into this here. You know, I've had a gulp or so. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, no, this isn't as good as Dr. Pepper. I'm glad yeah. I've tried it, though, you know. It was an experience. You've had that experience now. That I have. Uh, I'm drinking water. Because I'm trying to... I'm on a a bit of a diet. What an egg! I'm not enjoying it. (laughs) The diet. (laughs) That's that's part of the point, you know? (laughs) You're supposed to be miserable, yeah. Um... (laughs) But I, you know, I have I have made time to try some things, and I was hoping we could take it to uh, gold for meat. Gold for meat. This is a journey into money. Loads of money. So I tried. I I had to pull the trigger. I don't particularly appreciate Del Taco, right? Yes, you you've spoken not so fondly of them before. Occasionally, they have had featured items that have been all right, like they did a torta that was good. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, sure. Um, but when they announced that they were going to do ramen, oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, well, this is going to be bad, but I do have to try this. Yeah. And so, yes, I did try mm-hmm. their shredded beef birria ramen. What? Del? Taco ramen. I'm going to pull up what this 
this looks like. So it is a cup of basically instant ramen mm-hmm. with diced onions and cilantro, shredded beef, a lemon wedge, and then oh, a beef consomme broth, right? That's what they advertise. Mm-hmm. It didn't taste like fucking anything. <laughs> really? It is such a, it is such like a, you know, from like, I don't know, b- boolean, right? Like yeah. beef broth that is like, like somewhat oily and thick on the tongue, right? You can taste like a little bit of the grease, but like it itself has very little flavor. I want to say that it, like it tasted like it needed salt. I bet if I looked at the nutrition facts, I would find out that was not true. <laughs> Because it's Let's fast see, they, food. They don't even have them on the website, so I can't can't help you out here. Yeah. Um, the onions and cilantro. I mean, listen, I'm one of the people with that cilantro gene, right? No. Oh, right. So I don't have it. I don't have it as strong, but cilantro does not taste very good to me. Tastes a little soapy. Um, the onions were fine, but diced onions in ramen. Usually, you don't want super tiny things. They're kind of hard to pick up. In ramen yeah, context? They give you a fork for this, it seems like. They do, yes. Which makes sense. Um, the lemon wedge was, like, squeezing the lemon wedge in helped a little bit. Uh, I Their noodles are... They're instant ramen noodles. They're not particularly good. Like, they're... I feel like they're better than, like, a like the little cups, but they're not as good as, like, the ones you do in the pot. Mm. Um, that, that would, like, come in a package or something. Right. And then the taste of the birria itself is completely lost because it's been boiled. Right? And so the Re- beef itself yeah. is really is has a really weak flavor. Um strange. And in a desperate attempt to make this because I had it and it was six dollars. Um I was gonna say <laughs> I'm it to was not the cheap. size and of this year. It doesn't include like a drink or anything. I ended up ordering oh, wow. like one taco and um and a drink separately uh-huh. so it was like ten dollars for this whole thing um in a desperate attempt to make this have flavor and salvage my lunch break oh. i grabbed a couple of packets of taco bell taco sauce and squeezed them into it <laughs> and you know it didn't do enough but it did help it did something it did something uh this is a this is a firm thumbs down i thought this was pretty bad not like disgusting, just like I don't understand why you would choose to eat this. Do they? They don't have noodles and anything else, right? Like this is no, 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 no. Headline round. No. This is a like Jack in the Box esque like hard left turn. I've never seen a Del Taco. Do they do like chili or something like a like a Wendy's type deal? Like no. they serve a, a soup or a, a something like that. No. I don't think they do. It's mostly burritos and tacos, sometimes quesadillas. Interesting. They were like, oh, uh, from the website, quote, a hearty serving of our signature beef broth consomme. I was like, is that That's, a thing that people know pa- Del Taco for? It's part of their, like, their beef birria lineup, this whole seasonal thing they're doing. Um, oh. And not seasonal, like Christmas seasonal, like we're doing it for a limited time seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... No, I'm pretty sure that's not normally a thing they do. Yeah. Um I was I was pretty let not let down is strong. I didn't expect it to be good. Yeah. But <laughs> you kind of be let was, down because you didn't get up. I was unimpressed, let's say. Darn. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe I could uh I could help things out here with uh by offering a snack to the listeners. Sure, why not? We do not room, we do not room. We do not room, we do not room. Six, I have here two options. Can you please give me uh, a number one or two, or heads or tails? This better not go the way I'm worried it will. One. Uh oh. I don't know what that means. Um, so okay, one. I've got here a um, the fucking uh, what should we call it? Um, the yeah, 
The whatchamacallit. That's my joke. <laughs> Send the tweet. I have, uh, I have to hear the name of it before I know if we're in trouble or not. No, it's it's whatchamacallit. Oh, the, it's the candy bar whatchamacallit? It's the candy, uh, it can, the candy bar is called whatchamacallit. Okay, yes. It is not, uh, for instance, a firework Oreos, the last time you <laughs> offered me a one or a two for a snack. Indeed, it is not. Okay, then we're good. You're not in trouble. (laughs) Uh, It is made with chocolate, peanut-flavored crisps, and caramel. Says it is deliciously crispy. Is this made by Hershey's or or something? It's uh, distributed by the Hershey Company. Um, I feel like I haven't seen this before, but perhaps I've heard it. Um, It's kind of like a tan um, wrapper. With some I feel like lettering. it used to be more popular, like in the early aughts, late nineties, but it's been around. Mm, okay, gotcha. Yeah, let me just grab some tissue so I can put this out on the table. I'm gonna unleash it here. Gonna rock the dragon. Wow. Okay, so it smells like a chocolate candy bar. It's obviously coated with stereotypical Hershey's chocolate. Let's go. Hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. This is like what if the inside of a butterfinger was like put in the food processor for a little bit and then put back into a candy bar. Oh, wow. Because it says it's made with these flavored crisps. It's not like layered or anything. It's just got like the. It's almost like the, the popped rice or stuff type thing, uh-huh. like you like rice krispies or something that they they put in sweets, but it's like those like crumbly butter cookie, uh, a, a peanut butter crisp cookie type thing. Mm-hmm. So the texture is like, not quite as light as I think a butterfinger can be. Because it just crunches and falls apart so easily. This has already fallen apart. And it's interesting because they do they did for a limited time have a candy bar called Butterfinger Crisp, but it is not like what yeah. you would call it. It was different. It was like a butterfinger flavored, like uh not nutter butter. What's the uh, I'll, I'll I'll get this later. I'll get this later. Okay. I believe you. Uh, yeah, Nutty that's... Buddy from Little Debbie. That's oh. what I'm thinking of. It was like that, but Buddy. like Butterfinger instead of Pinot Rouge. Mm-hmm. But yes, please yeah, continue. It's, it's a very uh, like middle of the road texture in terms of like density. Um, yeah, no, this is enjoyable. the The peanut butter flavor isn't lingering very much, which is good because I'm not a huge fan of candy peanut butter. Um, a pleasant sweetness to it. It's very eat- like. It is a uh, a long and thin aspect ratio. Um, width versus height, much much wider than its height. Uh, it's just it's kind of easy to hold. It is very very enjoyable here. Oh, we will a little I'll bit quick, of this for later. Post a quick shout out to the to the nutty buddy for us here. Buddy. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with like discrete layers with like wafer cookie. Right. Yeah, this is like if you blended one of those up and then just ran it through the um, chocolate coating machine again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not I haven't had one in a long time, it's, but it's it sounds good. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to uh, to number two here. This one, uh, do you need this a break? All the... I do. Okay, well, I'll, I'll step up then. Um, I wasn't plate. necessarily <laughs> planning to, to Jack's snacks this one, but to Jack's I do snack. have it. Um... I, I treated myself by going all out because ow, 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 ow. Sorry. Um, just a, a quick, uh, you are meat. Um, I'm waiting. I, I have to scroll all the way to the <laughs> My life is so hard. Meat. 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 So yesterday I got my COVID booster, right? Congrats. Um, thanks. But I was overdue for, and that like makes my arms sore, right? And it makes me right. a little tired. Um, but it turns out I was overdue for more vaccines. So this morning 
I got uh, my um, pneumonia and shingles shots. You won't have to get shingles for probably quite a while. As a person who has a has a weakened immune system, I have to start earlier than most people. And as the nurse uh, helpfully explained while filling the syringe with two different vials for the shingles booster, the sh- or the, the shingles booster, the shingles vaccine, um, the shingles immunization is mean. Oh. Um. It has sort of a, a two-stroke effect here. First is when it's being injected, it feels like it's being injected into your bone. It is like it's stabbing you. It hurts. Damn. Um, I've had worse. I've had potassium because IV potassium reacts when it hits your blood. And so it's uh. like your blood is burning, like literally. It's incredibly painful. Um, so not as bad as that, but not good. And now I uh, I'm supposed to go to work in a little over an hour. Mm-hmm. I probably will call. I've been waiting to see if I feel better, but like using my arm, my right arm in any way just hurts so much. Um, I can't move boxes yeah. in this state. So yeah. I'm probably gonna have to call out, but it's funny. Cause I'm going to have to, they made it so we can use an app to call out now, which is great. I don't have to literally call them and explain. However, in this instance, I do. Because a manager that I relatively like was like, hey, can we extend your shifts Friday and Saturday? Um, And I've been having health problems lately. And I was like, probably ask me tomorrow, right? Because I'm getting (laughs) I'm I'm doing a little better, but it's still it's still rough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have to call and be like, listen, I am calling out. However, (laughs) Friday and Saturday are fine. They just happen to fuck my shit up for a day. Mm -hmm. So. I have to explain that. Annoying. Anyway, um, next to work is a store of a uh, a chain that doesn't get very many shops. They often pop up seasonally, and it's a chain that I have a great deal of like family based affection for. This is a thing we've gotten for a long time. Nick, are you familiar with C's Candy? C's Candy. S e e apostrophe s. No. Um, this, so this it is, is it is named after like Mary C's or something like that. I don't fucking know. Um these are like nice chocolates. C's candy. Um so this box here is a $30 box. Wow. And this is a box specifically of my favorite of the things they make. They do lots of like mixed boxes. But there are a couple of flavors that they will do an exclusive, like, here, you can just, uh, you can buy a box of one flavor. Um, you did hear me say earlier that I was going on a diet. Well, listen, I'll have to be a little careful. (laughs) Um, because this is a box of photo taken. And then, I don't know what you got in frame there. This is a box of bees. Hey, hey! Loser. Loser bees. I don't deserve to be alive. There we are. Scotchmallow. Scotchmallow. So, I don't know what it is, but it sounds good. Scotchmallow. Let's let's pull up the explanation on Scotchmallow here. They make a milk chocolate Scotchmallow, but this is the dark chocolate Scotchmallow. It's the one they tend to do more of. Um. <clears throat> Layers of C's traditional buttery caramel and light as air honey marshmallow wrapped in decadent dark chocolate. Yes, please. It is. I'm going to say, like, you know, this is this is it's not fair to, like, compare this to a candy bar. Right. This is thirty dollars. This is the best candy in the world. Wow. Uh, so here is the box itself inside. You can nice, see because very, very the, simple classic. Yeah, and you can see there they have it's like the circle of dark chocolate with a little like flip like wave right over the mm-hmm. middle. Um, this is of course the effect they do so that when you are having a box with multiple types, you can tell by sight what is in the chocolate. Ah. Um. Now. Embarrassingly, because I'm like this, in order to give you a cross section, I'm going to be using a uh, a pair of blades 
made by the Scotch Company. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) For your Scotch Mallow. Hey, see, it's fitting. Wow, this is actually kind of hard to cut with scissors. Uh, There we go. Oh, it's... Oh, all right. I gotta... Has it crumbled? It hasn't cleanly it's, sliced it's, because of yeah, course been... it wasn't going to? <laughs> it's not the fuck up <laughs> It has rather been crushed. I'm eating the crumbles of, of dark chocolate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, focus. You Power. bastard. Okay. The dark chocolate is excellent, of course. Just a little little crumbles of it here that I'm picking up from the broken shell. Um, you can cut it quite smoothly, and I have before with access to a kitchen knife. But you can see there the little layer of, of the nice caramel on oh, bottom. Yeah. Oh, that's with a healthy the... amount of, of caramel. Yeah, and then the uh, honey marshmallow up top. And the thing is, we ha- as, as Americans, we have had a ruined understanding of marshmallows. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> nice and sweet, pleasantly chewy, a little bit of saltiness to it. Now, Ooh. marshmallows made in America, I don't know how mass-produced bags of marshmallows are made. I don't know what they do. But it is not the fucking same as someone baking a marshmallow. Because a marshmallow that you get, like, made by a baker, mm-hmm. is essentially a, an Italian meringue. I was just going to say, I, I, I forgot what was in marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Sugar, water, and gelatin whipped to a solid but soft consistency. Yeah. And it's just this, like, delightful little, like, this, as you can see, this is a honey marshmallow, so there, there isn't sugar. They use honey instead. Um, oh. And it's just, I, I'm going to have to watch myself because <laughs> this I'm is watching. really good. This is really good. Damn. <sighs> well, that's a bit of a bummer because, um, well, what I have next is plant-based <laughs> Reese's, <laughs> which implies, I mean, they, so they're they're vegan Reese's, and I guess you know regular Reese's is not vegan, but still, it's like, what part of Reese's is not vegan? I wonder. Um, I, I I that is probably a question I I should have looked up, uh, it, but it says that it is oat chocolate, confection, and peanut butter. Is it just the dairy? Like I don't know. But it is non-GMO project verified as well. Uh, let's go ahead get this here. I believe I found this at a, a local Target. Uh, taking a, a look at it, it looks just like Reese's. It would appear that it is yeah, it is because it is milk chocolate. They are not vegan. Okay. Are you one of the people Some who does? Right now, but... And I'm not saying this to mock you. I think I think it's hilarious when people do this. Are you one of the mm-hmm. people who likes to say Reese's Pieces? God, I fucking hate it. When say it's, okay, okay, you're one of the haters. Understandable. <laughs> I think it's hysterically funny. <laughs> Reese's Pieces. Ceases Reese's Pieces. Um. Ceases Pieces. <laughs> well, see, what? you can sell computers. Ceases Pieces. <laughs> Okay, I'm just gonna fucking eat this thing now. Oh, it's hard. Hmm. Okay. Oh, oh. Hmm. So at first I was like, oh, well, I can obviously tell this isn't real chocolate. Oh, wow, this is an interesting arc. And then I got a tinge of something very kind of artificial and eh. And then it kind of came back around again, and now I'm getting that weird artificial oatiness, I guess. I'm just going to finish this. Um, Hmm. Hmm. 
So the peanut butter. The consistency really... of it looks wrong. It. It is. I, there's something weird about it. Like. Which is strange. It doesn't taste that strong, I guess. Like the the peanut butter filling just doesn't taste like that much, but it has this weird nuttiness to it. Not like peanut butter nuttiness, but like like dried oatmeal and nuts. Interesting, because the second ingredient is still peanuts on this thing. Yeah, but it is like distinctly not Reese's peanut butter. Huh. Unless it's like a weird interaction with the chocolate, but I don't think so. I like... I feel like I could taste the filling on its own. Just like um, our Lord and Savior intended, washing it down with a bit of Dr. Pepper, strawberries, and cream. <laughs> um, I thought that was going to be better. I don't really want the other one. Nothing's wrong with this. Well, no, something is wrong with this. It's just it's Uncanny not Valley. It reminds you of something you it like, is. but it's a little off. And it itself is not and that I don't even bad, like it that too much. Close. I don't even Yeah, I don't like Reese's that much. Understandable. And yet I, I was looking right. for that that flavor or that that experience. Huh. Okay, well I've got a bit of whatchamacallit here to uh to join my sarism. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sorrow's Drowned. Wow, congratulations. You know, Nick, we might have to take it to Bottle Crow. I think we do. (laughs) 